to the Doggy Juice Pod, powered by Dimers.com. This is episode number 107, Wednesday, December 30th, 2020, and this is it, the final episode of the shittiest year of all of our lives, and I have a very special one for you, though, this week, ladies and gentlemen. To help say sayonara to 2020 and take a big-picture look at where the sports betting industry stands as we flip the calendar to 2021, I sat down with Jake Williams, gaming attorney, a former professor of mine in the University of New Hampshire Sports Wagering and Integrity Program, a guy who knows everyone and who's a true titan of the sports betting industry. In fact, our lawmakers here in my home state of Illinois flew him out to Chicago last year to provide expert testimony at the sports betting hearing less than two months before they passed legal regulated sports betting here in Illinois. Jake also hosts one of my favorite podcasts out there, one that I can't recommend enough, and that's the Business of Betting podcast, which has over 150 episodes and over 1 million downloads. And Jake has also made a major impact on my own professional life this year by helping connect me with my new employer. Starting on January 1st, 2021, I'm officially starting a new job as Chief Compliance and Legal Officer at PlayUp USA. For those of you who are unaware of PlayUp, it is the most popular fantasy sports website in Australia, and the company is making its move to the sports betting and gaming space here in the U.S. It's a dream job for me to help a company like this enter the various state sports betting markets and build its brand here in America from the ground up and shake up the entire sports betting industry here in the process. I'm sad to be leaving the awesome people over at USA Sports Gaming with Bet Chicago and Bet Indiana and wish them nothing but the best moving forward because they have a wonderful team over there and it was an honor to have worked with all of them for the past year and a half. But I'm incredibly excited about this new opportunity. I'm looking forward to hitting the ground running with Play Up. I'll have more info about PlayUp in future episodes, but you could just Google PlayUp USA to find more information about some of the very exciting things that we have coming down the pipeline there. And of course, my opinions on this pod moving forward are my own opinions and in no way reflect the opinions of PlayUp. But back to Jake, he was integral in getting me in touch with my new employer. And honestly, if I had to pick one person in the entire world to help me recap 2020 and where things stand in the sports betting industry during the COVID-19 pandemic and where things are going uh, going to go from here, he's the guy. So I'm going to cut to that interview now, and then I'll close out the pod with a quick look at this weekend's college football and NFL cards. Here it is. All right, Doggy Juice Pod listeners, it brings me great pleasure to bring on someone who quite literally directly changed my life this year in a few ways. But uh, to say he's a titan of the sports betting industry would be an understatement. He's a former professor of mine, and now I'm happy to call him a friend, Mr. Jake Williams, everyone. How's it going, Jake? It's good. Good, Mike. Life is pretty simple these days, as I'm sure everyone is aware with, with the world as it is. So, can't complain too much. Uh, we'd obviously like to be doing some different things this time of year with more people and, and different celebrations. However, you know, things are fine. Well, there's a lot of big life changes happening for a lot of people this year. And I actually uh, just found out when we were, before we started recording here, that you're actually expecting your first child in, in February. So congratulations there. And uh, I just know this whole year has been so wild for everybody. So uh, congrats on that. And obviously, uh, I'm excited to have this talk with you today. We're going to recap uh, sports betting, the sports betting landscape here in the United States and 
and how things have changed over 2020 with the COVID-19 pandemic. But I think just to mess with everyone, obviously you, you live in New York, just to be clear, but um, I think just to mess everyone, you should speak throughout this interview in a thick Chicago accent. And I could speak in, <laughs> in an Australian accent throughat this interview just to confuse people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that, if might, that might work. I think uh, we'll see. I spent a lot of time uh, in the US over the last sort of decade. So I picked up a few things. I'm not quite there on my my accents. Um, my wife is born and raised in Jersey and I pick up little things here and there. Um, but certainly the Chicago one's tough. Pittsburgh, Philly, there's a few where there's some nuance, which I'm not quite there yet. So I'll leave I'll leave that to you, but I'm, I'm sure maybe in a decade from now, I'll be able to uh, talk in a little bit more uh, fluent accents. I'm trying my best uh, for the Aussie accent, mate, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's not coming together too well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now speaking of Chicago, though, um, and Chicago accents, uh, last year, or I guess in, in, um, in April, I think to be exact, of 2019, you came here to the Windy City um, as an expert, as a legal expert, and obviously you're, you're a gaming attorney for all who are not aware, uh, but you came here to Chicago as a legal expert to provide testimony to the Illinois General Assembly for the hearing on sports betting that took place in Chicago. And, and during that hearing, you know, in front of the, the Illinois lawmakers, you, you more or less called on them to approve, obviously, legalized sports wagering, just like we all wanted, um, just because it would obviously provide much needed revenue to fund state you know, important state initiatives with the idea being that people are already betting, you know, obviously offshore and might as well legalize it to bring in state revenue and other states were doing it, PASPO was overturned. So I'm curious to hear more about your experience uh, and what that was like coming to Illinois and uh, being you know, questioned by all the lawmakers in Chicago here. Yeah, well, you're a lawyer, Mike, so you'll know this. It's very hard for us to go into anything unprepared, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be in life, especially uh, legal topics and legal issues and, and things like you know legislation and, and, and talking in that capacity was challenging for me, especially back you know going back to 2017, we would do it a little bit in my now previous job um, in terms of just you know articulating what we had learned over the years with respect to sports betting from a, a legalized and, and regulated point of view. And I remember when I got the call, you know, I was headed out to Chicago. I thought it'd be Springfield. It turned out to be Chicago, which was, which was good for not clocking up some extra miles. But it was a, an interesting dynamic where I'd spent you know hours and hours and hours researching uh, politics in Illinois, uh, things oh with respect to the sports betting with gaming. I know VLTs or the the video lottery machines and terminals that that are already in existence, uh, as well as some of the casino topics and all these different things. I wanted to consume everything so I could go in with some decent basis of knowledge. And I remember talking to a friend just before I was flying out. I said, I've spent, you know, days on this and I still feel like I'm 1% of my way through at best in terms of all the different nuance that comes with, with politics, with gaming, with all these different topics. And then I, you know, went into the the hearing and it was actually really good. I, I shared the the mic with a couple of other guys who were talking about one, I think it was esports. Another guy was talking generally about sports betting and gaming and I was maybe more a high level in terms of just some of the benefits that may be seen when you legalize sports betting as opposed to allowing it to be um, not state sanctioned, as was the case, obviously, pre-PASPER, except for Nevada and some limited stuff outside of Nevada. And then as we as we saw, I think it was May 14, 2018, with PASPER being overturned and all the way through with New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Mississippi and all these other states legalizing, 
Illinois was always one of the the top of the list in terms of you know prospective states to to legalize sports betting that would be good from an industry point of view and you know population and I think just with the the history of finance in the city of Chicago and certainly in Illinois there was plenty of good reasons for Illinois to be a state that everyone was going to look at and, and that was certainly the case and I remember the the hearing there was press there there was a guy with a video camera taking you know, 45, 60, 90 second clips of different people talking about the issues. And it's still a unique experience that I obviously never thought growing up in Australia that I'd be in that position. And even now reminiscing about it, you know, briefly with you, it's still a a very strange experience. But, you know, I I think I'm still at the precipice of maybe getting to one and a half percent in terms of knowledge of the the landscape in (laughs) Illinois when it comes to politics and certainly sports gaming. Well, Illinois politics, I mean... Oh my gosh! I mean, it's to say that's complicated is is a huge understatement. Obviously, we all know the reputation here, and and I think that was reflected in the in the bill that eventually came out here in Illinois. Just so many, so complicated, so many different parts. I mean, there were carve outs for for everybody to have a piece of the action, and and of course, you know, that launched in March of this year, and we're going to obviously get to the impact of COVID nineteen and, and how that impacted um, uh, state by state sports betting legalization and what what the experience was like for everybody, but Illinois, especially, obviously we, you know, we passed the law in June of last year here and, and it went live uh, on March, March 9th, I believe was the day that Monday uh, at, at Rivers Casino before shit hit the fan, obviously, but just such a complicated bill. And obviously we saw it play out a lot differently during COVID with um, Governor Pritzker here uh, with his executive orders, lifting the in-person registration requirement, and now the whole market's just shifted and played out and shifted completely differently than people uh, expected it to uh, when it was first conceived. So very complicated, and, and it's <laughs> even a guy like you who's an expert, you, know, you can go in and, and try and immerse yourself into Illinois politics and probably come out maybe even more confused. Like you said, you, you might have got to 1.5% from 1%, but it's it's incredibly complicated. But um, I just, remember one just to... Chime in for a moment. I remember I used to work at a B2B service provider, so not an operator. You know, we didn't accept bets or anything like that. So it was far, far, far easier compared to the the lawyers and the compliance folks that all these operators that have to try and navigate all these different rules as they directly apply. And obviously, you know, the the legal team that I was a part of, we would look at a lot of these things because, you know, the flow on effects and you want to understand everything uh, to the to the letter or the sentence. And I remember, you know, a myriad of things in Illinois would come up all the time, every week almost. Um, there was something new and some of the things that we used to research or look into or have outside counsel phone calls about, you know, things like I never knew I would need to figure out where Cook County is and taxation of Cook County residents, I believe, or maybe it was patrons in Cook County casinos and then trying to figure out, well, if I'm signed up at a um, as a Cook County resident or patron and then I go to another county and I place a bet on my mobile device, which obviously you can, Am I then liable to pay tax in Cook County as a you know gaming operator? And it's obviously in the bill and the regulations and trying to pass through all sorts of different issues like that week by week in Illinois was very, very, very challenging. And we'd always have our, our eyes on the uh, the in-person registration component, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, with the governor and, and and that sort of progressed throughout COVID as well. Right. Well, that, that, the way that played out, I mean, the original intention obviously was to benefit uh, the, the existing brands like Bet Rivers, obviously uh, Rivers, that whole group, uh, they, they come to mind. And, and the argument obviously was was DraftKings and FanDuel had a head start by operating. Uh, the argument was at the time, just due to the there was an attorney general opinion that came out several years ago here, uh, essentially stating that that the DFS companies were operating illegally here, and the idea was they got a head start, uh, and that. 
that they would obviously get a head start when sports betting came here. But now, obviously, with the pandemic, people couldn't go into casinos to bet or even register. So Governor Pritzker, obviously, with his executive orders, he, he lifted that requirement and it allowed DraftKings and FanDuel to gobble up that market share right away. And, and, um, and that obviously forced the whole market here to play out differently than people people expected it to when it was first passed. But let's backtrack a second here, just quickly on your history. Obviously, uh, you're from Melbourne, Australia, and, and uh, it sounds like you said you've been living in America for over a decade. Your, your wife's American, and, and uh, you're, you're now former head of or running the legal team at a major sports data company. And I know you have ex- more exciting things on the pipeline along with your, obviously, your, your newborn, who's, who's on the way as well. But just want to hear more quickly about uh, how you got involved in the industry itself. I know that you, you worked um, for several years outside of America in, in a similar capacity, but how you got involved in general. And, and also, what are your favorite sports to, to watch and, and to bet on? So I would say growing up in Australia, you're involved from the moment you're born. I think there's some crazy stats that people always look at with respect to Australia and and you know all the different betting activity of Aussies over the years. It hasn't always looked favorably on us necessarily, or maybe it has, depending on depending on how you rank those things. It, it but has in my opinion. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I I like many went to uh, law school and and business school in Australia. It's a bit unique compared to here. You can go at the same time straight out of high school. So I was you know 18, fresh out of high school, and I was trying to play professional sports, and it didn't go as well as I would have liked, or maybe hoped uh, and I was studying at the same time so I did a, a I did a business degree in accounting as well as a law degree and you can wrap that up in five years if you do it quick enough which I was able to do which was I guess lucky for me especially when I learned more about the American system and the idea of doing two degrees uh, in five years in Australia compared to what's possible here in the US was pretty wild um, looking back on it now and then I worked at some law firms and accounting firms you know during those years and then after that in Australia and then I ended up uh, coming to the US and I was here on a work and travel visa, um, ended up doing my master's of law at St. John's University in Queens, New York and that was nice. a master's in international and comparative sports law which many would say is not a thing and I probably partly agree but it was good experience, good exposure to the US system and we did everything from Sherman Act to um, how to win a bid to, to get the Olympic Games to your city. I know LA was going through some stuff and a few other cities they were talking about that type of thing. So it was a complex array of different sports-related legal issues. Um, so we, it was a pretty intense master's program. And, and at the completion of that, I went to work at CONCACAF, which is a the soccer confederation for this region. Yep. So North America, you know, Canada down through you know, Mexico and Belize and Guatemala and so on and um, was working in their legal team. And then the company I ended up getting hired um, hired by worked with CONCACAF, uh, a data company called Sport Radar. And I moved out to Europe, worked there for a couple of years, a couple of Oktoberfests, as I like to say. And then <laughs> uh, I've been back here in the US for the last, it's probably almost it's four or five years now. So this was pre-PASPA, I was back in the US and then obviously things changed throughout the years there. And then uh, we come fast forward to almost 2021. So it's pretty wild to think back across those different experiences. But it's um, it's been a bit of a wild ride. It's going to be nice to have a, a breath or a moment to reflect and, and look forward um, now that I'm, I guess, unemployed. Yeah, that's the breath and uh, taking a moment just to see where things are at and recalibrate, I think, is such a 2020 thing right now. So it's a good time for that. You, you mentioned uh, professional sports and 
Uh, what, curious to know what sport that was and, and also your favorite sports uh, to watch and, and, uh, and wager on. So I played Aussie Rules. You may have seen it at like 3 a.m. on ESPN 7 oh, yeah. and 1 or whatever the worst ESPN channel is. But um, <laughs> So my dad was professional. He was actually quite good. Um, nice. If you have a spare moment to Google him, you'll probably find him. But So I played, I played one below the professional level for a few years and then realized it wasn't going to work out necessarily and maybe um, it was a good idea to focus on studies and a few other things. But I think when I would have breaks from university, me and a few mates would come over to the US and Canada or Mexico and we'd go to Europe as well. Like it seems like the cliche Aussie thing to do, but we uh, we would do things. So the first time we came, I think this is right, we did we landed in LA, we did LA, up to San Fran, Vegas, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, we went up to Vancouver, we went to Whistler, did some snowboarding. Then we went to, flew down to Chicago, over to Boston, down to New York, Philly. Uh, then we'd go to Miami. Then we'd sneak over to Cancun, play at El Carmen, um, spend some time there, then back up to New Orleans, through to Nashville or Austin, Texas or something like that. I'm already thinking over under 147,300 <laughs> beers consumed. Yeah, plenty of PBRs and Tecates along the way, but... So we would we got to see a lot of the country during that, which was fun. And because we would get, I think we'd finish our exams in about September, October. We wouldn't have to go back to like first of March. So we'd have a pretty good break over our summer, over our Christmas period, and we'd come right. to the US, which, as everyone here knows, is prime college and and pro football. So we, you know, without knowing anything about it, I think as eighteen year olds, we would come over here. And I think one of the years, the most memorable one, anyway, was. A mate of mine, we were going through a bunch of different cities and um, a guy out of Florida was, they were talking about whether he was going to be drafted in the first round and whether he was going to slip and whether he was going to be top five overall. And his coach, Urban Meyer, would be on all the talk shows talking about him. And he ended up going, I think, 25 to Denver. Uh, Tim Tebow, obviously, is who I'm talking about. And then I think Josh McDaniels had just left the Patriots to go be the head coach there. They they started 5-0 that year too. I remember that. It was like, that was the big story. Yeah. And then, so we actually traveled city to city and I think we realized most days of the week there's bars open in America, which is a lovely thing when you're, you know, 21, 22 year olds and you just want to uh, enjoy the, you know, 5 p.m. and after type atmosphere of the U.S. And we did that obviously very sensibly, but we would, most bars would have the games on. So we would end up watching a lot of sports, talk to the locals and have a bit of fun with it. And so we basically, I remember that specifically because we lived the entire Tebow saga and. I remember there was probably, I may be overstating this, but at least three, maybe four games where they were down terribly. They might have kicked three field goals. I think they had Matt Prater or someone like that back then who just kicked like 70-yard field goals all the time. <laughs> They'd be down like nine to nine to 14, and then Tebow would score a touchdown on like his third completion of the game, late in the game, and they'd win. And everyone was like, this guy sucks. He's terrible. And all of that all throughout. And then I remember being in, in Cancun when... I think I was there by myself for one day for some reason. I think a mate of mine was delayed or missed a flight or whatever. And I was uh, at a pub watching the playoff game against the Steelers. I think they were double digit underdogs at home against the Steelers, if I recall correctly. Sounds right. He, you know, had that pass to Demarius Thomas in overtime to, to win, which I think everyone who follows sports will probably remember. And I remember just every time we would see those, those Denver games, we'd just laugh to ourselves. And it was hilarious because everyone told us he's awful. The media said he was awful, and maybe he he is and was awful or whatever you want to say, but that was the most enjoyable year of sports that I can remember for a long time, and we were lucky enough to sort of follow along in city by city, bar by bar, and learn <laughs> a fair bit about the NFL, and 
and the NFL media, which is a whole different beast, um, as well as, you know, we watched a lot of college sports as well through that period. So I think, at least for me, those two are a hell of a lot of fun. I think March Madness is obviously the style and setup of that and structure of that tournament makes it really, really fun and interesting. And all of these things come through the lens of being a sports better and being someone who grew up with gambling and, you know, the iPhone came out and everyone had the apps and, and sports books in Australia had those apps, you know, throughout our early early 20s, even a little bit before that and through that period. So we just knew that, you know, gambling was what it was and that was how life was and you could bet on your favorite team and we'd go to the pub on a Friday night, there'd be an Aussie Rules footy game on and we'd all chuck 10, 20 bucks on the table and go place <laughs> a few different bets and, and hope for the best. And that's kind of what life is like now in, in the US if you live in in Jersey or you live in a few of these different states that have sports betting, which we had as, you know, young adults or whatever you want to call it. And that was probably the time when, yeah, college football, especially um, there was some fun and, and money to be, to be made on that sort of back in, this is probably 2010 type days. Now I'm thinking with respect to what the product was like back then, how online sports betting was. And it seems crazy to think it's changed so much in a decade, but you know, in Australia, you had to bet by phone in play. You couldn't bet live. I think it's the same now, actually. Um, and then just how they how they set lines and that type of stuff has evolved a lot because, you know, I remember we're talking about like Andrew Luck was at Stanford, RG3 was at Baylor, uh, Washington, Washington State, USC, UCLA. A lot of these teams would score a lot of points, even like the Texas Tech um, type offenses and a lot of those games, they would have, you know, totals that were very, very off. At least, you know, I'm thinking back now a long time, but even like Oregon, you probably remember those Oregon days with Chip Kelly and yeah, of course. Yeah. They would they would have totals in the sixties, seventies and eighties sometimes, and it would be seven three at the end of the first quarter, and then the totals had dropped to the fifties sometimes, which I'm guessing they had one simple model for a lot of this stuff, or they had a handful of models, but you know, you could pretty much tell like, all right, well, those Oregon offenses aren't gonna stay quiet for more than you know a quarter max um and a lot of the times you would see you know second quarter would be 28 to 7 or 28 14 um and then the totals would be crazy so we had a bit of fun betting some of that stuff back in the day but certainly college and pro football here has been the most fun that's awesome and and this perfect segue because live betting just uh, the way it's taking off here and predictably in a way here in america but you know when, when you look over in europe it's it's a larger percentage of the total overall overall handle is live betting, and here in America, you know it's it's not anywhere near as much. But we've already seen a, a massive increase in that. And I know the guys over at Donbass Sports they they predicted a couple of years ago or last year that you know within three or so years that over seventy percent of of handle here on on, on sports wagering in, in the United States will be via. Uh, live wagering. So I think that's a good segue here for for where things stand right now in terms of sports betting legalization. That's awesome, by the way, your your whole story there. I mean, I, I really wish I was Australian uh, and at college age because I would have had a lot of fun. That's for sure. I can't tell you how many Australians I've met in hostels and, and you know, in just bars around Europe and around America. And literally every single time they're, they are a good time, always down to drink <laughs> beer. And it's the, the stereotype is the best possible stereotype and it exists for a reason. Uh, Clearly. So, but, um, but yeah, so in terms of where we stand right now, in terms of, of state by state sports betting legalization, you're the perfect guy to talk to about this. But uh, now at the end of, of 2020, we just got a couple of days left here. We've seen over half the states legalize sports betting in some form. And although, you know, half of them haven't, haven't launched quite yet, but more than half of them will be live soon enough. We have more states 
on the way. We've seen, I think another big picture thing is, you know, we've seen leagues kind of change their tune a little bit, especially the major professional leagues here in, in, in rather quick fashion, obviously, because they were parties um, on the other side in, in the, the Murphy case. Oh, yeah. um, and it's just amazing, you know, just two and a half years after PASPA was overturned to see uh, leagues literally in bed with with um, with sports betting and even to the point where you're seeing, you know, colleges in, in Colorado. I know uh, they partnered with PointsBet um, a couple months ago. The University of Colorado did. So it's it's just an interesting uh, setup that we're seeing right now. And and um, but there's some other like macro things going on. So I'm curious to to hear, you know, just in terms of you know, just at a macro level, like where things stand right now and, and your perspective, maybe where they stand right now compared to where you expected them to be when PASPA was overturned. Do you think we're on the same you know, path in terms of the speed of, of state-by-state legalization two and a half years in, or where do you think we are right now relative to your expectations a, a couple of years ago? So on the quickly on the league point, I we always grew up with certainly, and I maybe started out in the horse racing world more than anything, um, going to horse tracks as a teenager and, and stuff like that. And mm. there is what's called race fields legislation in Australia, which basically means that um, the tracks and, and the industry benefits from from wagering, and wagering basically powers the entire injury, in, the entire industry. And I think sports sort of morphed into that type of model as well. I think. You know, and I was probably not necessarily old enough um, at the time, or or skilled enough as a lawyer at the time, or even qualified at the time to sort of think back to these times. But basically, the the idea was that well, gambling is bad probably, and we don't want gambling on our events because gambling on our events will mean you know bad things. You know, whether it's heckling players, whether it's people losing bets and getting angry, uh, whether it's you know match fixing, all these type of things that are obviously possible and clearly do happen on a global scale across all different sports. And that sort of transformed over time, at least in Australia, and, and this is my sort of experience and background, is at some point these leagues said, okay, well, we can push back, we can fight, we can you know, ignore, we can whatever we want to call it, um, but whether we like it or not, gambling is going to continue to happen on our events, on our sports. So we can either push back and continue with that model or we can change our approach and you put it, jump into bed together, um, I would say, you know, join forces in terms of dealing with those main issues that, that arise, you know, integrity and match fixing and putting those to hopefully, you know, below, below you know, 1%, you know, 0.000 type percent outcomes in those type of things, which you, you can certainly do many things with respect to education and uh, monitoring the, the betting markets to make sure if anything suspect is happening or any issues pop up, you can sort of address those. And you can do that far better with a regulated industry where you can actually talk to the bookmakers. You can do it far better when those businesses are combined, you know, the sporting interests and also the, the gambling interests, right. as opposed to, to not having that. And you look at many states in the US at the moment where they don't have that. So if something happens in a uh, Ohio State game in Ohio, then there's not really anyone to call because there's no regulated bookmakers there. If you try and call your local bookie in Ohio, like good luck, um, if you try and call someone internationally that's taking bets on Ohio State games, uh, whether they're in the Caribbean or in other regulated jurisdictions around the world, they're not going to pick up the phone. So you're kind of like, all right, well, we're just sort of going blind and they don't have anyone locally with that much expertise to be able to decipher a lot of these challenges. So certainly the, le- the legalized and, and regulated markets help with some of that. But it sort of morphed into a, all right, well, let's try and address some of those issues with the gambling operators Let's work together and let's also, we call them product fees in Australia, which 
here sort of you know started out as integrity fees and have sort of um, evolved into authorized gaming operators and other partnerships. But it was sort of like, all right, well, yes, we can make some money, but we can also address some of the the integrity issues, and we can also address you know educating our players and athletes and coaches and and referees and, and umpires and, and deal with those things collectively. Which you know, and some would still argue, well, there's there's many many bad problems with gambling, and maybe they're right, but I think also you can collectively address as many as those as you possibly can and, and want to address. And we're seeing that here in the U.S. now. So that evolution happened, you know, a few decades ago in Australia. And a lot of the leagues and operators are working together on these things. And uh, certainly in horse racing, it's the same thing. So I think we're seeing that now. And I think my take on this sort of topic in the U.S. especially is we saw what whatever the opposite of collaboration is, and there's plenty of words you can conjure up, <laughs> But we saw that because we had PASPA. We had a pre-PASPA being overturned world. We had, like you said, they were literally named parties on the other side. And we saw what pushback, let's call it, from sporting leagues and the NCAA and college athletics against gambling resulted in. And that resulted in many, many things, including no legalized gambling outside of, let's say, Nevada. Um, No regulation with respect to gambling in almost every state in the United States with a lot of gambling going on through local bookies, through offshore betting options and then things like that. And the states didn't have any tax benefit, obviously. Um, There wasn't necessarily as much education and things like that for players and and coaches and referees and things like that, in my opinion. And maybe I'm wrong on that, but I would imagine it's far more these days than it was. Um, And I think overall, the collaboration component we're seeing now is going to be better off for the entire ecosystem from tax dollars to sports leagues looking at their integrity issues and expanding that beyond the current approach to to sports gambling and, and match fixing and all those different things and educating people and things like that. So I think I like personally the collaboration approach. I think it overall is a net positive. I'm sure many will argue it's a net negative. They would prefer the, you know, pre-PASPA being overturned days and having none of this. But I think there's a there's a strong argument to say that the collaboration part is working and, and works better overall, but of course I'm biased, so I don't want to, I don't want to be banging that drum too hard because um, there's certainly plenty of people out there, including one woman actually in in, uh, in Illinois who I get updates on all the different gaming board hearings, and she uh, she turns up and expresses her displeasure for gaming across the board in the state of Illinois, and um, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of other people around the country and around the world who have similar feelings. So I, I don't want to make it out like it's a to slam dunk situation, but I do think the collaboration approach as we're seeing now play out isn't perfect, but I think it's a net positive. I completely agree. And, and, you know, it's, things are changing so fast. I think even like five or 10 years from now with especially some States and, and, you know, we don't like totally go into state by state, obviously, but you know, some States are, are getting this right early on with the way that they're, their regulations are structured and the way their law was written in the first place, while some others I think are, are not getting it right. And, and we know already a few of those, you know, it's specifically in my opinion, the, the lottery run states, but I think it's going to take some time to realize which states are getting it right, which ones are not. And there might be some, uh, some copying going on, some mirroring, especially when you realize, you know, the state's making this much money, you know, you see a state like New Jersey getting almost a billion dollars monthly handle. And you're like, Oh, what are they doing? Right. You know, if you're a, if you're a state that's uh you know, like, or like Washington, D.C. or Montana, with the lottery running things and realizing, hey, no one's, you know, no one's betting here. We don't have as much income, but there's a lot of moving parts. And I think it's going to take time. And, and that's a great point about the collaboration, though, because, you know, if there's one thing that I think we learned 
And, and just judging off your experience in Illinois and obviously your, your friend who's at the Illinois gaming board meetings, but uh, a lot of these people have no idea what they're talking about when these lawmakers. And, and I think there's, there's a bit of a head, head in the sand approach for, for, for decades on all of this here in the United States. And, and, and uh, obviously I think it was turning a blind eye to people, to the fact that people were betting anyway. And you know, when you're seeing billions of dollars wagered on offshore websites and quarter bookies here, um, I've long maintained here on, on the dog juice pod that that lifting the veil and regulating this stuff, legalizing it, it keeps the betting above board. You're able to monitor those Ohio State games, monitor the betting patterns, spot irregular betting patterns, so you know you know if there's foul play involved and and see where the money's coming from from a, a money anti money laundering standpoint. So it's better for the integrity of the games when for the very reasons that people think that it's not better for the integrity of the games, um, and it's it's better for the taxpayers because you're obviously bringing in valuable state revenue. And, and right now, obviously, a lot of states can use that extra state revenue after the, the COVID-19 pandemic. But one quick thing before we, we jump into more of the COVID-19 effect on sports betting is it, the notion of, of, of uh, and this is anti-collaboration, I guess you could say, but the notion of limiting and banning um, winning players. I think that's that's something that's been playing out one of the, the early, I guess, uh, storylines here with legalized sports betting in the United States is a lot of these European um, uh, companies are coming in with their style of bookmaking and it's, you know, their, their way of doing business is, is by you know, squeezing out guys who could show that they can, they, or ladies who could beat them in, in the long term. And, and um, I, I think I, I personally, I think that that's a, a short-sighted approach because I think that um, of course it might increase your short-term margins by doing that. I think it's not necessarily going to bring in more money in the long run. I think increasing the liquidity uh, pool and and welcoming this sharp action, you know, where the sharp money's at, I think is more advantageous for books. And obviously that there's not a one size fits all thing. Every, every book's different and wants to manage their risk in a different way. But I think that there's, you know, early on, we're not really seeing much of a voice, you know, and there are loud voices obviously in the Twitter space. And I know that there's some gambling av- advocacy groups out there that are, that are, being formed as we speak. I know that the, the American betters coalition, if a few, um, a few guys are looking to start that one and stuff, but what are your thoughts on that whole, uh, thing playing out right now with, with winning players being banned or perceived winning players being banned too? Cause I think there's a lot of false positives in that regard as well. You're seeing some guys, you know, get banned or limited severely without even making serious bets. And I know like for me, like, you know, I, I had barely been betting on at bet rivers, uh, here in Illinois until they, limited me. I can't get down more than $12 on a college football game. And, and now in NFL, I can't even, as of this weekend, I can't even, uh, I was limited to $45 on a, on an NFL bet. So it's, you know, that, that's problematic in my opinion, but I want to hear, you know, your opinion on that and, and, and what you see, maybe how things playing out in, in that whole uh, issue. It's a, it's a funny topic because it, it really gets a lot of people really motivated and really riled up. And as you know, I do a weekly podcast or at least um, had a few weeks off recently, but you know, I've had, I think 150 episodes, probably 135 different guests. And most of them are probably advantage type players who at some point in their life or career were, were being limited and have plenty to say about it. So I don't think I have anything necessarily excellent to say other than, um, the best worst analogy I can come up with. It's obviously not perfect, but is blackjack. And I've read a fair bit about blackjack over the years and sort of the, the history and profile and, and the, the way it sort of evolved since uh, since Ed Thorpe wrote Beat the Dealer and even before that and obviously through the last few decades. But there's a school of thought there that 
most people will try card counting and probably won't do a very good job and that house edge they would have of playing um, you know, basic card counting strategy well would be erased or at least minimized back to break even because they probably won't do a great job at it. And there's, I would say I'm at least in that, in that school of thought, you wouldn't spend $1 on security on extra efforts to try and throw out blackjack advantage players. You would just let all of them, let's just say you have a hundred of them in the world and they all come uh, to your casino and, um, you know, a hundred of them think they can beat blackjack and, and maybe a couple can. And the other ones are either kidding themselves and don't do a very good job and lose. And then there's a bunch that maybe a break even and overall it's sort of net even, let's say hopefully for the, for the casino and it's not worth their time. Um, obviously a hundred people is the wrong number. I'm, you know, obviously it's Gale is a, there's a heck of a lot of people in that group, but there's plenty of schools of thought I've read that say, yeah, the, the best marketing tool would be to welcome card counters. And then you'd get, you know, Jake from, uh, Jake from New Jersey and you get Bob from California and you get Julie from Arkansas all coming to your casino and they're not all going to be able to do what the books say they're going to do. But I think there's some of that in, in sports betting. It's obviously a very nuanced and difficult question. I, I would say that sports books have a lot of things to worry about. Um, it's not an easy operation to get a sports book up and running. And there's so many things that they need to, to navigate. Um, one of them is clearly, uh, at least in my opinion, as we move towards a low latency, um, real time product. And that goes back to what you're talking about with live betting. But, you know, in a future, I think of sports betting, at least from a more of a utopia point of view, we're going to get to a place where I think there'll be very much low latency. The models will be pretty damn good across a lot of the key sports and at that time the the ability to think about these different models uh, of operating will be far more open than they are because i know there's there's certainly plenty of sports books around the world that are catching their tail in terms of compliance and all the licensing uh different licensing requirements that come with being you know able to set up and then start taking bets so i think thinking ahead certainly at least my hope is that we get to a point where we have low latency data, really good models across a lot of different sports, a really solid in-play product where you can bet pregame and live uh, in a way where limiting doesn't necessarily have to be a point of contention. You have you know sensible limits, let's say, just to manage risk overall, but there's going to be plenty of options, whether it's from a uh, different suppliers that allow you to, to manage things better uh, overall, or there's different ways to hedge risk and do other things if you really want to do that. So I think Hopefully, this isn't something we, we have to worry about. Certainly not by the time, uh, ideally, we're retired and, and on a golf course somewhere talking about you know sports betting in uh, a few decades from now. We can uh, not necessarily worry about this topic, and I think we can probably get there. It's just going to take some time. No, that's a great way of putting it. I, I agree. And as time goes by and, and these companies can fine-tune their business because people are going to find a way to bet, and it's, it's, it would just be a shame for them to take their action, you know, to other places where, where the American taxpayer and state by state, state by state basis are not taking advantage of that. But um, so in terms of COVID-19 and, and the pandemic this year, obviously it's had a pretty major impact on the sports betting industry as a whole. And I think we could both agree that, um, you know, there's, there's probably some good and bad aspects of that. I, I'm trying to you know focus more on the good. And obviously I think the the most obvious one is, it's placed more of an emphasis on on mobile wagering in states that that don't have any component of, of mobile wagering or even um, you know limit or, or put encumbrances on the ability to, to wager mobily through namely in person registration. Um, I think those states were exposed early on, and those states obviously suffered 
as a result. And some of them have been able to circumvent that, like Illinois being the perfect example, obviously, with Governor Pritzker's executive orders lifting the in-person registration requirement here and completely changing the way the market was supposed to to play out. But um, I'm curious to hear, you know, what what you think, how, how COVID-19 may have slowed down or sped up certain processes when it when it comes to the sports betting industry as a whole, whether that you know, that's the legalization process or the regulation uh, developments in, in states that are new to this or or just the industry in general. So I'm definitely open to the idea that a state like New York or other states will, will fast track sports betting or even iGaming legislation in the future given COVID and in a non-COVID world, it might have taken more time. I think that's certainly a possibility, but I'm not... I'm not as bullish as others, I think, on that. I think there's certainly a scenario, and I'm definitely uh, hopeful that that's the case, certainly with places like New York. And I think I saw something as recently as this morning around Florida. Um, you know, There's been plenty of talk about California, obviously, over the last few months and even year. So I think it's, it's possible, but I don't know that it'll be significant if that's the case. I think places like Connecticut and Massachusetts and, and a few others have been talking about sports betting for a while and hasn't happened. There's still barriers, and I don't know that they're, they're going to disappear necessarily, but... Maybe overall, there's a there's a slight you know positive outcome when it comes to the the fast tracking of uh, a legislation with respect to the impact of COVID. But time will tell on that front. And I think just overall, um, I think COVID has brought certainly the push towards towards mobile. And, and obviously, it's tough because at least from my experience and and the different states that I've spent time in or, or thought about, there's plenty of actual capital deployment in those states with respect to land-based operations. So I don't necessarily subscribe to the, the, the thought that we should just come in and bulldoze that by having only online licenses and allow anyone and everyone from anywhere in the world to come in and operate. I think that's obviously an extreme, and I don't know that you know everyone's saying that. I think that there is there needs to be careful consideration of incumbent gaming, of uh, incumbent um, brick and mortar, whatever it is, when it comes to horse tracks, for example, and things like that. I don't know that it's necessarily a good idea to just allow Mike and Jake from Sydney, Australia to set up a sports book in Illinois and, and operate from a, an AWS uh, server and then have developers in all different countries around the world and do that. Um, but I do think that certainly the push towards and the trend and the, uh, the outcomes of certainly places like New Jersey show that from a consumer demand point of view, uh, mobile sports betting is the answer. And I think in-play sports betting is certainly the answer. And I think as it becomes more customary and, and people use the products and understand the products more and, and realize that there are certainly many ways, and I hope this becomes the norm, where you can bet in play or at least pregame now um, at a relatively low VIG uh, across you know the different sports books that you, you might use. And you can bet, essentially bet NFL sides on Sunday at midday Eastern time before the one o'clock games kick off at around minus one six minus 107 let's say by just shopping a little bit on the, the sides and totals you might want and you can have a decent portfolio that might you know without much thought or much time and if it's just an entertainment play you might be able to the sports books might hold a couple of percent uh, overall i think that's probably something that i've thought about a lot is you know there's obviously uh gambling harm that comes with being able to bet and i don't think you're going to eradicate that by eradicating gambling because people always find ways to bet they have throughout human history so um one of the things that i like about the future is, is thinking about how do we get to a point where the takeout is really low from a sports betting horse racing whatever it might be point of view where the operators have a, a viable business model um they can obviously have different hold margins on 
on different products depending on what they are, of course, but having a way where the consumers can have a, a fair crack at it, as we like to say in Australia. And there are certainly ways that that can happen now. And I think as we get toward a future of sports betting where that's possible, I think that'll be really exciting. There's always going to be the the massive lottery payout element to that. And I think that's why you're still going to see the the popularity of, of same game parlays and same game multi, multis as we call them back home. Um, right. People want to bet five to win 500. Uh, they want to put three or four or five different guys to score a touchdown in the same game uh, and have a, a small bet on that to win a lot. I don't think you're going to eradicate that, but I do think the idea of having the ability to have relatively low hold options for those that, that want to bet, um, you know, use their, you know, use their mind a little bit to think through what they're doing and then have options available. I think that's great. Cause like you said, there are certainly some States where that's not the case. And it's almost as if the licensed and, and regulated industry is pushing you towards alternative options where, you know, you've probably seen the, the screenshots and the tweets and the, the images of minus 120, minus 130, both sides of the bet. And that's just obviously a recipe for many, many, many challenges. So I hope we can, uh, I hope we can push towards, like I said before, low latency, um, real-time products and personalization, as well as um, having that consumer in mind so that we can collectively be sensible, sensible about the type of framework that we have for sports betting. Right. I know for sports books, it's all about finding that right balance, obviously, with a, with a high enough hold percentage while also keeping the customer happy. And obviously right now there's the huge rush for customer acquisition and, and, you know, these bigger giant companies, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's of the world, uh, willingly losing money early on in, in the name of customer acquisition. But in the long run, you know, the long-term play, I, I agree with you. I think for, for betters who are going to wisen up, I think especially American betters who are learning more about this, especially with sports betting media being more out in the open and people educating themselves on sports betting here, uh, people are going to become more price sensitive and smarter about betting. And they're, they're definitely going to shy away from those minus 120, even minus 115 lines. And if they can find a better price elsewhere, and if, even if that's offshore, I think they're going to take their business there for the most part. Obviously, there's, there's always exceptions. But um, it's interesting, too. I, I, I heard recently, it was kind of kind of surprised me, but it made sense. But I guess parlay betting is, is pretty significantly a, a lot more popular here in the U.S. as opposed to Europe, where single single game wagering is a lot more popular over there obviously what do you think that is you're a you're a local to the country i'm not what do you think the the impetus for that is i think a lot of that you know the lottery mentality i think a lot of that is just our good old american style like you know go big or go home type of of you know get that big hit you know the wild west type of of mindset i think so i mean i know a lot of my my buddies here that that gamble recreationally and bet on sports recreationally they they're always looking for that big payout on parlays you know i try and explain to them how Every leg you add to the parlay, the book is the, the smile on, on the book gets wider and wider. But um, but at the same time, you know it's it's hard to ignore those big payouts, and especially the way that those are being marketed to the American consumer here too. I mean, I, I think a lot of this problematic, uh, to, to be perfectly honest with you, kind of giving people that that false hope. And you know, you see, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but a certain sports betting operator, you know, stories of them. Even just today, I read a story about a, a popular operator that's limiting someone who. It really is not that experienced betting. And they, they came out and said, you know, I've limited to $50 on an NFL side because I've been winning for a lot at, at this at this certain operator. And at the same time, the operator's blasting off emails about someone hitting a 10-team parlay, you know, for 40 grand, you know, the same night. So, you know, at a, a $500 bet or something like that. So it's, you know, it's it's definitely a balancing act and books got to figure out what works best for them. But I'm of the belief that, you know, obviously want to find that right balance in terms of customer, uh, keeping the customer journey 
a positive one in the customer experience. You want to keep them coming back in the long term, but you also don't want to bleed them out. You want to offer a competitive product and there's competitive pricing. So there's a nice fine line there, but I think some companies might be, at least in the early days right now, sacrificing more of the long term for the short term and that, that viewpoint. That's the way I view it. I think more, and we could see those minus 107 lines, you know, in the NFL with, with more liquidity, obviously, and more people uh, betting into those lines in the future. So I think just the general practice of shying away U.S. customers is, is a macro, you know, bad development, in my opinion. I understand why companies do it, but, um, but at the same time, I'm hoping that's something that definitely changes moving forward. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one because I hope, like most things in life, and maybe this is just my philosophy on things, but I think software and, and technology can solve a lot of these problems. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is sports betting in terms of an online environment, mobile environment, you know, in-play environment is still not that old. Uh, obviously, people have been betting at horse tracks and and outside of arenas for a long time. But I do also think that from a you know a mobile sports betting product, we're talking you know at least in the US, it's a couple of years old. Obviously, plenty of the companies have experience outside, but not many of them have been doing this for much more than a couple of decades. And given that, I think if we think about how far things have come from, you know, I don't know if people remember like the first iPhone that came out and how different they are to the the iPhone, whatever the, the most recent one is, but just even the experience that comes with that betting, um, you know, from back then to now. And then if you extrapolate that out over another 20, 25 years, let's say, with yeah. respect to all the different advancements that are going to come, I think that's a that's an exciting development. Hopefully, and there's hope there that if things go in a certain direction, we're going to see the ability for uh, liquidity to be very, very different compared to today, where it's very compartmentalized and everything is regionalized, if not localized, to a pretty small degree. Where um, things that happen in New Jersey have pretty much no significance to Mississippi, and no significance from there to to the UK or Australia. Obviously, there are plenty of areas where there's overlap, even on the operator side with some of the global operators. And there's obviously people looking at it from that perspective. But I think at a certain point, we will get to a stage where hopefully anyway, um, there's a either it's, you know, glued together, a global liquidity, or there's some ways to, to see that happen. Because I think that's the point where a lot of the economies of scale get really exciting for the consumers, obviously the operators as well. And, and maybe the governments won't love that in terms of fighting over their piece of of tax revenues and, and licensing and things like that. But I think at some point in the future, it's going to be a, a case or a scenario where technology, software, and these type of things can hopefully solve a lot of these issues. There'll be other problems that crop up, certainly. Um, but that's one area where I think, like I said, if, if we're looking back on the industry in a while, we'll harken back to the earlier days like now where there were some challenges with um, with some of the products, with some of the offerings and and some of the things that operators and, and bettors and gamblers are trying to achieve, uh, at least from a 2020 point of view. Well, that was a perfect segue. It's almost like you host a podcast of your own. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was going to say we should, uh, let's close out the pod with, uh, or the interview with our, where we expect things to go from here as, as we turn the calendar to 2021. But obviously you just gave us some great insight on that. Uh, I, I've heard some sharp minds in the industry say, and it makes sense that more consolidation is definitely foreseeable. Uh, the next couple of years, obviously, for, for better or worse, some of these bigger companies swallowing up the the, the minnows of, of the world, I guess. But, you know, obviously there's going to be, you know, it's foreseeable that there's going to be more expanded mobile wagering, expanded uh, offerings, obviously, in the games that we're wagering on. You're seeing new innovation, new technology. I mean, you're, you're seeing the actual 
sports themselves, the way they're being played out in front of the audience, incorporate sports betting more. I think golf is a wonderful example of that. I know the PGA started implementing live odds in, into their broadcast this year, which I think is great integrating that into the games. Obviously, it creates a really fun customer experience. And I think that's, you know, for me, you know, just to take things first, I guess, since you already gave us a lot of great info there, I think that's we're just moving forward a great thing, uh, just embracing sports betting, uh, the leagues and, and the different uh, organizations out there, uh, the, the collaboration that you spoke about earlier. But I think that's going to create you know, down the line in a few years from now, it might look a lot more differently, different than we're looking at right now, but like a customer experience that's more uh, involved when you're watching the games and being able to actually bet live on, on what's happening and the technology is going to continue to develop in a way that allows us to to do that in a fun way as betters in an engaging way, while also obviously providing uh, a nice hold percentage for the sports books who uh, obviously want to get a piece of their <laughs> the pie and live betting as well. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, obviously we're seeing DraftKings and FanDuel uh, kind of dominate the market, so to speak, you know, become the, the Uber and, and Lyft of the sports betting uh, space here, so to speak. But I'm curious to hear if you think, you know, there's if there's certain companies that are well positioned to move into that third slot or or maybe even, you know, if you foresee more of that in the future or do, do you see more companies kind of getting a piece of the pie? So I, I've, usually kept relatively quiet on sort of projections or, or major thoughts. I have two that I'm very happy to share and I probably haven't talked too much, certainly not on my podcast or anything like that, but the mm-hmm. two sort of, or the main thesis or theses or whatever the plural is of, of that, of, of sports betting here in the U S let's say, um, <laughs> yeah, correct. Is the first one is probably personalization. I think just like, uh, just like Facebook, when you go to your Facebook feed, you get a personalized feed. Just like when you go to Amazon or some of these more, um, you know, technology-focused and data-focused businesses, you'll get, you know, Instagram, you'll get a specific feed of things that are likely to keep you on there longer. I think that's no secret anymore that we are the product when it comes to most of those things. So I think sports betting will head that way. And I think there's probably, at least, you know, my personal experience and opinion uh, is that I like that to an extent. Uh, and many people may feel similar where, and maybe the threshold is different, but I like personalization because it sort of skips the queue on a lot of things or skips the line when it comes to a lot of things. I don't love the idea of seven clicks to find, um, you know, the game I want to bet on or some of the markets I want to bet on. So I do think in a sports betting context, we're going to have something like that where you might have a personalized feed of, of betting markets and options that come up on your app, which I think would be cool. I don't think that's necessarily going to be a bad thing, um, whereby if Jake lives in New Jersey and, is a Falcons fan and mainly bets uh, college and pro football, then he can have a personalized, you know, basically menu of different things that come up. I think that's a, a cool thing that we might see here pretty soon. And I don't know that necessarily there's too many um, downsides to come to that. And I think the second one is well, the one thing that I, that sort of projects from the U S market for me being an outsider and obviously being here a while now, but certainly being an outsider is, there is an element, and I don't know what the right word is or how to describe this perfectly, but here, anyone and everyone will just try something and do it, and they don't care about, A, what's been done elsewhere, and B, whether or not it has a good chance of success or failure, um, which I love. You know, that audacity of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship is like no other place that I can remember. I obviously grew up in you know, Australia. I've lived in, in a few different parts of the world, including Europe and uh, the Caribbean, and I, I like the idea of of that 
infiltrating sports betting because many will tell you, and, and they may be correct, that it is a stale product in many respects with respect to things haven't evolved and changed too rapidly too much uh, over the years, at least in the last sort of handful of years. And plenty of things have obviously developed and, and progressed, but I think there's a there's an element where the, the idea of a bet is very difficult to change. The idea of changing that product isn't necessarily a simple thing, but I think you're finding here in the US so many people are trying to fix that or change that or update that. And I've seen probably, I don't know, many, many dozen different uh, betting companies started over the last few years um, from affiliates to exchanges to operators to morphed fantasy and sports betting type operations to just typical betting operators and everything else in between. You know, you don't hear rumors as much as you do here in the US of things like the NFL might be a, a betting exchange one day or Amazon and Google are just waiting to get into sports betting or Microsoft have a dozen patents that are about to be unleashed into the sports betting world or you know all these types of things you don't hear as commonplace necessarily in my experience outside of the US but you hear that here and I mean I love that that's awesome and I think that even if 99 of them fail but one of them hits it could rapidly change the whole sports betting environment it could revolutionize things as we know it from a sports betting consumer point of view, which I love the idea of that um, some form of disruption that we don't know about and haven't thought about that, that finds its way to the marketplace here in the U S um, and whatever form that takes, I have no idea. I mean, I think it's obvious to me that you cannot predict that and maybe other people disagree, but I've seen things that to, to adding in crypto to adding in blockchain, all these different things to, to what I already mentioned that may or may not be possible, but I love the idea that, something will probably emerge. I don't know when, I don't know what it will be, and I don't know that we're going to be great at predicting it, but someone will have that type of idea, thought, approach, um, technology, whatever it is, software that, that changes things you know, from what we understand today and things will be divergent from that point on. And whether that's a, whether that's a FANG-type company coming into the space and doing something differently, whether that's a, a major shift in what we you know, consume and understand about sports betting today, I've, I have no clue, but I do think there is uh, at least the the ability for that to happen seems ripe here in the US, just given how many people I've spoken to, how many times I've thought to myself, there is absolutely no way this is going to work. But I know that in the back of my mind that that's the beauty of it and one of these people will get it right and it'll be it'll be an awesome thing to watch. Well, we, we are in the business of predicting things here on the Doggy Juice Pod and I actually do have this perfect thing to close out on. One last point that... I'd be remiss not to talk about, and I think I have a prediction for you here. And it involves, and it's something that we we all know about in the legal world here, but the Wire Act, obviously. From, yep. And the Wire Act here in in America, in the United States, is is obviously was preventing, you know, uh, pooling multiple states together from a sports betting standpoint uh, when it comes to you know pooling the the, the betters together, and, and among other uh, a host of other legal issues due to the Wire Act. But um, all eyes are obviously on that case right now. Uh, that's that's going there's. And I don't know how much you've been following it. It's it, it's yeah. been in the news this year, but the New Hampshire Lottery Commission versus Barr case that uh, it went in front of the first, I think it was the first circuit court of appeals this summer. And and the judge himself, Judge, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, even though he's a paisan, uh, Bar- Bar- Barbadoro, I think. Yeah, Judge Barbadoro. He said that the case, even he said the case is destined for the Supreme Court, it seems. And it's going to have, obviously, whatever the Supreme Court ends up saying uh, about that case is going to have a la- could have a lasting impact on the industry 
uh, when when the Supreme Court eventually or inevitably it sounds like rules on it. So I think that could be your your trigger right there that that could lead to you know who knows an exchange down the road or one of those bigger companies from from pooling multiple people together. And I think that's really where you can get to those. You know, you mentioned an NFL exchange, an NFL only exchange, uh, something like that down the line where you are looking at some, something similar to Betfair, which I know a lot of my listeners here are not very familiar with an exchange type of setup like Betfair, you know, across the pond. But, uh, you know, you do see those 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 lines that are more favorable to the consumer, to the end user. You know, you might get those minus 107, even lower than that, minus 105, minus 103, uh, dare I say it, NFL lines in an exchange there. So I think that that could be your potential avenue to get there. But uh, I don't know if you've been hearing anything in, in your channels about that wire act uh, potential decision that could drop in the next you know, next year or two or something like that. But I think um, you know, that could be the big shakeup that that could really change the direction of things for, for years and decades to come. I think plenty of people would, would love to see a change to the wire act. Obviously when it was implemented, what it was trying to cover and you basically put that side by side with what we currently experienced today, it doesn't necessarily mesh perfectly. So there's plenty of good reasons to readdress that and or, throw that out so we'll see that would be obviously a major development and i think that's um that's something that everyone will have a close eye on um with respect to how gambling will continue into the future if there was a a non-wire act environment right it's gonna be something fun to pay attention to that's for sure but uh no this has been great jake i I really really like from the bottom of my heart appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing your knowledge with my listeners i know for a fact that they all really appreciate it and and um God, I can't leave here without plugging your podcast. It's it's literally one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It's the Business of Betting podcast, and um, you, could, you could follow that on, on Twitter at at Betting Pod on Twitter. And uh, we'll just say this: it, it's you know, 150 episodes, but you have a whole wide <laughs> to say you have a wider reach than the Doggy Juice Pod is it's a massive understatement. But uh, yeah, t- tell us quickly about that podcast, where, where we could find it, and and what uh, you know, how long you've been doing it, whatever else you want to say about it. So yeah, I was lucky enough to get at betting pod on Twitter. I don't know if that was because no one else was doing betting podcasts back then, or if they were, they <laughs> didn't want to scoop that up. But you know, I've I think I started it probably four or five, uh, four years ago, five years, whatever it is, a while ago. Um, and I, like I said before, I moved around the world a fair bit, and and I wanted to keep in touch with Aussie sports and horse racing, especially as well as the US stuff. So I probably looking back started it to to do that i kept complaining with to people about it and i think someone just said well do your own like just stop whinging and, and start your own podcast and talk about it and then you can re-listen to it but um yeah that was sort of out of the blue and i thought it would be one episode long and then i wouldn't get time to do it and then two and then 10 and then 30 and here we are sort of a while down the track but um it's basically just talking to to gamblers and and different people in the betting world um from you know obviously sports betting horse racing even operators to um you know, startups and entrepreneurs here in the US and around the world. So every episode may not be for everyone, but that's kind of by design. I like to broaden the horizons a little bit. And I guess the end game of, of each episode or the podcast generally is just to, if if someone listens and they get through it all and they find one nugget to take away, then I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, it's not to solve all the problems in the world necessarily, but just to have some uh, some interesting conversations with people far smarter than I am and hopefully learn something from them and carry that forward. So I think it's it's certainly an enjoyable break and, and difference. I know plenty of lawyers out there that work pretty hard and, and don't necessarily have too many outlets to, to let off some steam. So it's certainly one of those for me. And it's been 
it's been a while, but it's it's been a, a, a hell of a lot of fun to talk to the different people that I've been able to to chat with, and they give up obviously their time um, to to chat with me and talk about different topics that I find interesting um, in the betting world. So I'll probably see how we go in terms of continuing, but it's certainly a fun fun way for me to to learn more. And I think you know I'm clearly the biggest beneficiary from doing it because I get to hear from a lot of smart people uh, every week, and and that's probably yeah or clearly to me the the main reason why i've continued to do it it's tremendously insightful and, and the best thing about it is is the interviews you do are, are evergreen you know the the stuff you can you can listen back to and and uh it's it still applies you know it's not like you know a lot of the stuff here on the on the podcast i do is you know just predictions for the games coming up and you know you listen no one wants to hear that a week later but for your episodes you can go back and listen to it's tremendous insight and it's even more fun to and i'm sure it will be more fun in future years to look back and and hear you know some of you know how things were at certain periods of time especially in an industry that's changing so rapidly and obviously you've seen a lot of those changes firsthand so yeah well and i i steal a lot i shouldn't say this but i steal a lot from other podcasts i listen to i'm a you know podcast sort of nerd and in gambling industry nerd to an extent certainly on the legal side but also just generally so um, I like to to listen to your pod. I listen to you know I can't get enough of props and and hops and my uh, my every time I'm watching a bloody NFL game now I'm always like oh I wonder if there's going to be a touchdown under one yard or not and you know a lot of fact <laughs> yeah, games yeah. obviously that happens and there's plenty of other games but yeah um, and then there's you know House Edge I listen to obviously bet the process there's probably a, yeah. a dozen or more in my uh, catalog that I get to you know obviously deep dive is a lot of fun listen to those guys I don't know if you heard the recent one where. Drew was sweating the Cowboys game in real time and, and Andy's always good fun. So there's plenty of plenty of good betting podcasts out there and I don't listen to them all all the time, but I certainly do spend a fair bit of time stealing different things from from each of them. So I think that's probably also, you know, an impetus for me to keep going is I always have a an idea or a thought or a question or a new guest or a or a new area to explore, which is which is pretty fun. That's awesome. And there's it's constantly changing, so you're gonna be having stuff to talk about, no doubt about it in, in upcoming years depending on how things go with that. But you're definitely doing podcasts before doing podcasts were cool. That's for sure. So, <laughs> Maybe so. I should slow down then. <laughs> you set the bar super high. That's all. But, um, all right, Jake. Well, thank you so much. This has been like truly like, you know, it's like a, a dream interview for me to, to get a guy like you on the doggy juice pod. And you know, it's something when I started doing it myself, I couldn't have ever imagined. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and, and helping uh, provide my listeners with some insight and, and it's a nice little snapshot of where things are. Maybe we'll listen back to this in 10 or 15 years and think of how uh, how stupid or crazy we were for saying <laughs> some of the things we did. But uh, it's a perfect snapshot for, for where things are at the end of 2020. So so cheers to you, man. And, uh, and, and thank you very much for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. No, it was my pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much to Jake. That was incredibly insightful. It was a true honor bringing on a guy like him on the Doggy Juice Pod. We've come a long way here since the early episodes when I would record these hungover in my boxers from my living room. Again, you can follow Jake's podcast, The Business of Betting Podcast, on Twitter at BettingPod. All right, we have football this weekend and people want picks. I hope all of you listeners were able to get down on Oklahoma at plus three and on the money line at plus 130 or better, as recommended on last week's episode. The Sooners are now laying seven points against Florida ahead of tonight's Cotton Bowl on Wednesday, if you're listening to this in time. 
And if you took a bigger position than you normally play last week on the plus three, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of playback on the Gators catching the full touchdown because there's nothing better than sitting back and rooting for numbers to fall. I mean, obviously we don't recommend just blind hedging here on the Doggy Juice Pod, but uh, we're going to have tremendous closing line value in this one when it kicks off on Wednesday night. And we pride ourselves on getting the best number here on the Doggy Juice Pod. And we're all about that CLV, but a 10-point line move like this is pretty historic. So nothing wrong with a little bit of playback there, I think. In terms of this weekend, we have the much-anticipated college football playoff on Friday, New Year's Day. And speaking of historic, we have an unprecedented spread in the Alabama-Notre Dame game with the Crimson Tide laying 20 points against the Fighting Irish. I mentioned this one last week as well, but it's the third largest point spread ever in the history of all bowl games, not just the college football playoff, but any bowl game ever. And yet, the line may not even be high enough. In recent years, Notre Dame has just been god-awful in in BCS and college football playoff games. In fact, they are 0-6 straight up and against the spread in their last six in that situation, getting outscored by 24 points per game, and they've never come within a touchdown of the point spread in any of those six games. In the other college football playoff game, we have Clemson laying seven or seven and a half against Ohio State, depending on where you shop. Like I said last week, there is asymmetric risk involved here. If you're looking to get into play on Ohio State, I think that taking the seven and a half points of the Buckeyes and some money line at plus 250 or better is an excellent option for your New Year's Day portfolio. Not only do I think this line is a bit inflated after Clemson crushed Notre Dame in the ACC title game and while Ohio State struggled to put away Northwestern in the Big Ten title game, but I also expect the Buckeyes to have a bit of a fire lit under them after Dabo Sweeney's recent comments about how the Buckeyes shouldn't even be a top 10 team. Ohio State is also an excellent team in recent years in those rare spots where they are an underdog. Per college football handicapper Brad Powers, dating back to 2012, Ohio State is 8-1 and one straight up as an underdog, covering by over 19 points per game. That's 8-1 and one straight up as an underdog. And the only loss for them as an underdog was last year in this very game against Clemson. So the Buckeyes are also bringing that revenge angle to this game as well. So scoop up some of that plus 7.5 at minus 115 or better while it's still out there in the marketplace, and be sure to add some money line with the very live underdog. There's some other bowl games that I like that are coming up, and weirdly, all of these games I'm about to talk about involve laying the points instead of taking them. And more often than not, historically, at this time of year, I'm playing on underdogs in bowl season and definitely not laying any money lines with with favorites in bowl season, as discussed on last week's episode with more of a macro look at the college football bowl game handicapping strategy. But there are some favorites that I like on the schedule this weekend, starting with Georgia laying seven points against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Day. And in fact, as I record this, the Camby books, namely DraftKings, Bet Rivers, Barstool, to name a few, they're at Georgia laying six and a half at minus 115, which I think is a great bet in a game where they are clearly the superior team against a Cincinnati team that has stumbled to close out the year due to COVID-19 issues. And no doubt they're feeling a bit of deflation after not making the college football playoff despite an undefeated 9-0 record this season. Georgia, on the other hand, while they did have their sights set in the college football playoff to start the year, uh, they had that dream deflated for good over a month ago after their loss to Kyle Trask in Florida. And since that time, they've made the change at quarterback to JT Daniels. And I have 
that listed as more of an upgrade than, than the market appears to be letting on. So on top of that, uh, this game is also going to be close to home for the Georgia players. It's being played in Atlanta. So I think laying a touchdown or less is a great look with Georgia this weekend. It sadly might be the last time for us to get into play on the Matt Campbell-Brock Purdy tandem and Iowa State here on the Doggy Juice Pod. They've cashed many a ticket for us and many a large money line underdog ticket for us here on the pod over the last two years. And once again, my numbers are showing value on them in the Fiesta Bowl against Oregon on Saturday. I really wanted to hammer this one at minus three. And you can actually find minus three at minus 129 at the Canby books right now, which isn't a bad way to go. But this one's still good on my stuff for a slightly reduced position at minus four flat, which is the consensus number in the marketplace right now. Brock Purdy is going to be eligible for the NFL draft this year, so you better believe he's going to be looking to impress scouts in this one. And on top of that, he's returning home to his home state of Arizona for this game. So there's that certain level of comfort being close to home uh, amid all of the distractions and travel issues in the age of COVID-19. And when you look at the way the Big 12 is playing relative to the Pac-12 in bowl season, I think this is another great opportunity to get into play against the Pac-12 and perhaps one last chance to get into play on Coach Matt Campbell and quarterback Brock Purdy. The Cyclones laying minus four or better on Saturday. And finally, this one for less of a position because the line has moved on this one. But Texas A&M laying the points against North Carolina in the Orange Bowl on Saturday. You can lay seven points at minus 122 at the Canby books right now. And that's a bet I 100% recommend making as soon as possible because that line may continue to creep up after recent news that several of UNC's top players have opted out of this game. And in fact, I'm seeing some other spots start to add some juice to the minus seven and a half, which is the consensus number in the marketplace right now. So not good for a full position at that number and wait for a minus seven flat to show for anything serious. And of course, that assumes there's no news, injury news on Texas A&M side that moves the line down to minus seven flat. But let's call A&M good for a half a unit at minus seven and a half and increase the position laying a touchdown at minus 122 or better. All right, that'll do it for the college gridirons. Let's close out the pod with a quick look at the final weekend of the NFL regular season. NFL week 17, Aaron Rodgers is the new MVP favorite. He's a $4 favorite right now, actually, meaning you have to lay $4 to win $1. But to be honest with you, I think there's worse ways to tie up your money for a few weeks because I think he's got this one completely locked up after this past weekend. And since uh, Andy Reid and the Chiefs look like they're going to be sitting their starters and Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be playing another regular season game this year. So Aaron Rodgers looks like he's set to win the MVP. Team motivation is big this week, but if you're looking to bet on teams that have to win and looking to bet them on the point spread, especially right before kickoff, just know that the line is definitely already factored, or sorry, the the need to win is already factored into the line when you do so. And honestly, you're likely paying a major premium. So if anything, look to play the other way on the other team and some of those uh, for line value right at post. And remember, as legendary Vegas odds maker Jimmy Vaccaro likes to say, and it's become a tenant here on the Doggy Juice Pod over the last two plus years, and that's the fact that Joes bet teams and pros bet numbers. And talking about numbers, we've already seen several of them move this week for Week 17 on that aforementioned team news and the quote-unquote need to win. Uh, the Browns have moved up from six, six and a half up to 
10-point favorites against the Steelers on the news that Big Ben would be sitting in that game. But that line may have already been factoring that in and taking that into account uh, with the six, six and a half line, or at least the strong chance that Big Ben would be sitting. And on top of that, the Browns still have COVID-19 issues of their own. And you better believe that Mason Rudolph is going to be hyper-focused in this game, given his recent history with the Browns defense. So for that reason, I recommend a play on the Steelers catching 10 points or better on Sunday. It's a game with a lower total at 42, so points are going to be tougher to come by in in that game. And the Steelers have a great chance, I think, of staying in the number and at least keeping the game in single digits. And the Dimers bot over on the quick pick section at Dimers.com agrees with this one, showing a nice 4.8% edge on Pittsburgh catching 10 points in this game. Another matchup I like, and it's an ugly one, but in the NFC East, taking the three points with the Giants against the visiting Cowboys, and of course, adding some money line at plus 130 or better. This is one of those games where the market is already factoring in the motivation, and uh, the look ahead in this game was Giants minus three. Now we've seen a six-point flip here in this one, obviously with the Giants catching three points, and I touched on this last week, but it continued for another week, and that's the Cowboys' recent turnover luck. There are plus nine in turnovers in their last few games. That's always good to regress. I think it's also a solid buy low spot on Daniel Jones and the Giants offense. I think if he runs the ball more in this one, especially uh, this week, that's really going to open up the field for the home team against a Cowboys defense that we know can be exploited. The market is starting to move back on this one. I agree with that. So make sure you lock up some of that plus three at minus 115 or better while it's still out there. And I'm also getting close on the over in that game. 44.5 at minus 105 can be had right now. Uh, But I'm really hoping for 43 for something significant, but nothing wrong with a smaller investment of 44 and something even smaller at the current price. And of course, it stands to reason that I like the Giants team total over in this game. Call that one good at 21 or better. But I think if you shop around heading into Sunday, uh, you have a great chance of finding a 20.5. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this one because it's getting close, and that's the Jaguars catching more than two touchdowns against the Colts on Sunday. The Jags have clinched the number one overall pick in the draft next year and uh, should come out with a fresh mentality in this one. And obviously, we don't have to worry about any coaching shenanigans trying to lose this game. So playing this one free. And obviously, it's it's a big spot for the Colts, but the market has already taken that into account with the current offering. So if you remember the Jags, their only win this year came in this matchup in week one. And while I fully expect the Colts to have their way in this game, uh, there may be a fundamental factor in the matchup here that benefits the Jags and that can allow them to keep this game close. And even if they're down 20 points late, then the back door will be wide open still for Mike Glennon, uh, who's going to be playing for his right to remain in the league. So at plus 14 and a half, if it gets there, it's just too much value to pass up on. Nothing wrong with scooping up some of the plus 14s that are up out there right now, but if this climbs above that two-touchdown fence, then I think the Jags are a very worthy add to your Sunday portfolio. In terms of teasers, there are a few options out there that fit the classic Stanford Wong model of teasing through the key numbers of three and seven on a two-team six-point NFL teaser, as long as we're not laying juice of minus 120 or more on those, of course. And like I've said for a long time, cherish those books out there that still allow you to do it at minus 110 odds. They're few and far in between. But given the high variance of the week, I will not be dishing out an official Doggy Juice Pod teaser of the week this week. We ended up finishing the season with an 8-5 and five record on those after passing a few of the weeks during the season. And while 8-5 and five is a record 
I will gladly take on those every single year. It was a bit bittersweet for us because we lost our final three on those to close out the season. But I do have one that I'm on this week and that I recommend playing for a smaller position. Let's call it a half unit play. And that's teasing the Titans down to minus one and a half. Um, I think we're getting a nice little free roll. It looks like Deshaun Watson might not be playing or may not be playing in that game. So teasing the Titans down from minus seven and a half to minus one and a half. I do think the line already is partly taking that possibility into account, but it's a relative free roll. And we're essentially just asking the Titans to win that game outright on Sunday and a pretty big game for them. So uh, the Titans in the first leg and pairing them with the Eagles up from plus two to plus eight on Sunday night. I think it's another spot where we might be getting a point spread free roll on the quarterback situation with the Alex Smith injury uncertainty in Washington. So the Titans down to minus one and a half and the Eagles up to plus eight for half a unit. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. As always, follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. And if you enjoyed listening to this pod and if you've learned anything about sports betting legalization or if you've been adding to your bankroll this season by listening, then please spread the love by rating the pod on Apple Podcasts and by leaving a review. It takes 30 seconds and helps get this thing out to more people who could benefit from it. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to sign up for and play in the Dimers NFL Sweet Six competition brought to you by the Doggy Juice Podcast. It's completely free to play, so 100% risk-free, and it's easy as pie to sign up and make your picks. Uh, For the NFL Sweet Six, all you have to do is answer six questions, and if you can answer all six correctly, you win $1,000. It's that simple, and the questions aren't even that hard. It's like, who's going to win this game outright or who's going to be the first touchdown scorer in this game. So just go to freetoplay.dimers.com and sign up, answer those six questions each each week and go six for six and take home that $1,000. We'll be living in a new year next week and I'll be back with a look at the NFL playoffs and the remaining college football bowl games, as well as some college hoops. I know 2020 was a kick in the balls for all of us. And I hope that all of you listeners out there stay safe and healthy As we flip the calendar to 2021, better times are definitely ahead. Good luck with your action this weekend. Enjoy your New Year's, and I'll talk to you all next week. Doggy Juice out. (laughs) 